0: It is our joy, uh, Judy and I are just really been blessed to, by our, our time of association with uh, Faith Bible Church over the last few years. Uh, we, we were blessed to be here two years ago and, and give a workshop and, and to be asked back again this week and it's been a real blessing. And uh, we, it's been a joy to uh, spend time with so many of you over the last couple years and to be able to share some of God's principles for uh, why we should be better responding to conflict, how we can better respond to conflict. So as Nick mentioned, we we do work with people in conflict. We work with couples, we we work with families, we work with uh, workplaces sometimes, and we work with churches. So those are all predominantly, not always, but predominantly Christians that are struggling. And lots of times they're struggling with confession and they're struggling with forgiveness. And that can be often right at the heart of conflict. So, at one level, it seems pretty hard to understand. You know, what's so hard about apologies? What's so hard about forgiveness? God makes it pretty clear in his word that we're to uh, confess our sins. Uh, He makes it pretty clear that we're to uh, offer forgiveness. So why do we struggle so much? We look at some of the verses in scripture, uh, Jesus speaks clearly on the subject of addressing relationship hurts. So uh, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, you know, he says, you know, he, Jesus makes it so clear, it's more important to get this right, our, our relationships with other people, than to worship with him. You know, if you find yourself worshiping uh, at the altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you. Lay your gift there at the altar. First go and be reconciled, then come back and offer your gift. That shows you God's priority for two reasons, many reasons. It hurts our witness when, when we're in conflict with other believers. It interferes with our relationship with God and it can spread. And those are all compelling reasons why we want to make sure that we do our part to acknowledge our sin and and move forward towards reconciliation. So, on the other hand, forgiveness sometimes we struggle with, yet again, Jesus makes it pretty clear. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And again, I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, we're clearly walking in disobedience when we, when we don't forgive others. But also again, it interferes with our relationship with God. It gets in the way. And that's why forgiveness is so important. But so, we know this as Christians, yet why is it so hard to get past conflict? In our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our country? and even in our churches. Judy and I would love to be able to say, we have no work to do this week. Uh, <laughs> we can go out, if the snow's coming soon, we can cross-country ski and snowshoe, uh, but there's, there's always work to be done among Christians who are battling, who are battling, uh, ign- acknowledging their, their wrongs, they're battling forgiveness. Well this weekend we had the opportunity uh, to be so blessed again uh, in sharing some of these principles and many of you were here and uh, we're not gonna repeat everything we did in uh, about nine hours of teaching and sharing this weekend. But we we covered topics like confession and forgiveness from a different perspective than we're doing this morning. We also uh, covered topics like how to speak assertively, how to listen actively how to overcome bitterness when we're trying to forgive, how to negotiate important priorities in our families, and how to establish, it, establish relationship policies, and how to uh, actively work together as a team in our families to overcome and resolve difficult areas of conflict. Well, today, as I mentioned, we're gonna look at this whole issue of struggling with apologies and forgiveness. We'll examine what gets in the way of taking responsibility for our hurtful actions, as well as what gets in the way of forgiving those who have hurt us. And we'll talk about the one way to gain victory with both confession and forgiveness. And the only way is by turning to God. So let's first consider some common approaches to apologies. Each of these apologies falls short. They clearly don't live up to God's expectations about how we should take responsibility for our actions. As I share some of these examples, they might sting. I know they sting me. Because I've said words like these myself. And it's maybe not just 30 or 40 years ago, but 30 or 40 days ago, or maybe, just maybe, 30 or 40 minutes ago. How often do we find ourselves in conflict on our way to church? or we're getting ready for church. We we, we saw some example of that this weekend in our workshop. Uh, Consider this situation. I've said something hurtful, and more often than not I say that hurtful thing to the most important person in my life, my my wife of 33 years, Judy. Uh, My very real gift from God. And I want to get past this, I want to apologize, but I want to get past it quickly, because this is awkward, this hurts, this is, I don't want to admit that I've said done something wrong. So I might say something like, I wouldn't have said that if you hadn't said this to me. (laughs) Now, when I say that, is that a sincere apology? Or am I shifting the blame? I'm saying to Judy, you're responsible for my sin. Or another moment when Judy's hurt because of something I've said or done. And she has the, uh, she's doing the right thing. She's letting me know that I've hurt her. Uh, and I say something like, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Or, and it stings because I know I do it. Oh, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done this to me. Or maybe, and that's often for me, but maybe for some of you. You're too sensitive. I was only joking. And I profess to be a peacemaker, a reconciler. I know how hurtful words can be. I know how to take responsibility for my words and my actions. I know how to demonstrate real remorse and repentance in my response to the person I've hurt. Well, how about you? Do you ever find yourself apologizing in a way that falls flat where it just doesn't get the acceptance and the forgiveness that you you really are hoping for. Brad Hambrick in his book, Making Sense of Forgiveness, talks about the hurts that can cause us when we fall into what he calls manipulative repentance. Now manipulative repentance means that the person says he's sorry, but all he really wants to do is get past this awkward moment He doesn't want to make any meaningful change. In fact, he might want to get right back into his old patterns of hurtful behaviors, unhealthy behaviors. We might fall into blame shifting or other manipulative tactics because we're resistant to change, or we might be so uncomfortable with the thought that we might be wrong that we're trying to quickly escape from an uncomfortable situation. A Hambrick provides seven statements that could be a sign of manipulative repentance, where we're trying to do everything possible to avoid personal responsibility. I know I'm not perfect. When we say that, what do we communicate? The problem isn't what I said or did. The problem is that you have unrealistic expectations of me. You're the one who's being harsh. In fact, you're being judgmental. Or, I've never pretended to be the someone I'm not. When I say something like that, I'm saying, my, my behavior isn't the problem. You're trying to change me, that's the problem. Or, you're bringing up stuff from the past. And I think as Christians, we can fall prey to this. Manipulative of repentance, because we know that we're commanded to forgive. So if we've confessed to our spouse or an important person in our life and they've offered forgiveness and then we find ourselves in this position again, we don't want them to, you've already forgiven me for that. Well, what what are we saying then? We're saying that we don't want them to address with us, point out to us the recurring patterns to our sin. Again, we're shifting the blame to them. You know, I'm not the kind of person who would do that. That's not what I meant. Now what am I saying then? I'm claiming that my hurtful actions are unimportant. What's important is that I see myself as a person with good intentions. And you're wrong to interpret my words or my actions as being hurtful. Again, shifting blame here. I said i was sorry, what more do you want from me? It's kind of drive-by apology. It says that saying sorry should be enough. If you're still hurt, if you're still distant or mistrustful of me, there's something wrong with you. In fact, I'm implying that you're now the one who's sinning, not me. There are a lot of people or couples who have it much worse than we or do or you do. When we say these words, the problem isn't my behavior, the problem is that you have no perspective. You don't look at the bigger picture. We have this wonderful life together. You're at fault because you don't allow the good things about me and our life together to erase magically any hurt that I've caused to you. Or how about this last one? I promise I will do better, but we do that without working together on an agreement of the, on what the problem is or how we're going to solve it through some concrete examples. Now, here I do nothing more than promise I'm going to do better, but I have no plans to change. I provide no ways to demonstrate that I understand what I did and that I will act, work actively to make real changes so that I won't hurt you again and that you will start to rebuild trust in me. When I fail to make those commitments to change, I'm not seeking to reassure you. And I'm certainly not encouraging you to trust me. In fact, I'm telling you to be quiet and drop the subject. Sadly, these types of manipulative repentance are all too common. Even among us who knows what the Bible encourages us to do. And God encourages us to take personal responsibility to respond to conflict differently. So what gets in the way? Perhaps we don't know how to apologize in a sincere and effective way. And there's lots of tools to help us. Ken Sandy looked at the biblical patterns of confession and repentance, and he developed what he calls the seven A's of confession. And we spent uh, quite a bit of time this weekend uh, looking at that. Those of us who were together two years ago, we spent some time with this as well. Well, today we're just gonna look at what it feels like to receive a sincere and complete apology. An apology where the offender makes no excuses for his behavior, no ifs, buts, or maybes. He admits specifically that he understands what he did and how his actions hurt the other person. With a comprehensive confession, the person accepts that there are consequences to sin and relationship hurts and he also commits to changing his behavior. And even the last step, asking for forgiveness and allowing time, but particularly asking for forgiveness, is important when we apologize for a serious hurt. And why might that be? Because on our own, the other person might not be able to forgive. Particularly if this has been a recurring issue, and we really struggle, or they've been hurt by us a lot, they might really struggle with forgiving us. Even if we've been really, this time we've got it, we've we've offered a sincere confession, the other person has a lot of hurt to get past, and they can't do that on their own. So by asking for, for forgiveness, we can encourage that person to recognize that they are commanded to forgive, and if they're struggling with forgiveness, they need to turn to God for help, for healing, and wisdom on how to live out that forgiveness with me. So, learning to give a complete apology using something, a tool like the seven A's of confession should be enough, right? Well, unfortunately, even though I can say these in my sleep, I still stumble. We all stumble in many ways. I still fall into the trap of incomplete and insincere apologies. Well, what about you? What prevents you from delivering a sincere and effective apology every time God brings it to mind, or you know from the look on your spouse's face, or your kid's face, or someone else important in your life, that you've hurt them? What stops us from offering that apology? Sometimes we just don't understand what we've done, what we did wrong, and, or why it's hurtful. So in those situations, it's important to acknowledge the other person is hurt, and ask questions. Help me understand what I did that was hurtful. Because I want to change. I don't want to hurt you like that. When we do that, we're we're demonstrating a sincere desire to learn and grow, to take responsibilities. But sometimes that sincere desire is not enough. Sometimes we need a, a loving friend who will come alongside us and confront us if necessary to help us understand how we've been sinning. And sometimes it takes some real uh, courage for that person to do that. King David, after the sin of his behaviors with Bathsheba and Uriah, experienced just that kind of loving confrontation from the prophet Nathan. Nathan knew what, all of Israel knew, what David had done. And no one was going to confront the king, and the king wasn't dealing with his sin. So uh, Nathan came and used a very effective parable or story to uh, get David's attention and get him outraged that someone would act like that. And then he uh, directly uh, confronted David about the ways in which that story was him. Uh, You are that man. And in 2 Samuel 12, we read that David acknowledged his sin in front of Nathan saying, I have sinned against the Lord. But was that sincere apology enough? Well, after his confession to Nathan, we know that David wrote Psalms 32 and Psalm 51. And it's clear from Psalm 32 that he went through a period of struggling with what his sin was. He was deeply troubled until he spent sufficient time with God to understand what he had done wrong. In Psalm 32, Verses three and four, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength dried up as if by the heat of summer. Eventually, David did start to understand. His time with God helped him to understand that. And he said in Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. How did David get to that point of understanding? Through God's grace. In verse eight, God tells David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's what's available to us when we go to God in prayer when we're more struggling. And, Psalm 51, we read the result of David coming to true repentance and acknowledging before God that he understood his sin. He showed that he understood the terrible impact of his sin and the earthly consequences, and those were very real. There was loss of life. And that he needed to be transformed by God to live a holy life. That transformation is only possible through God's power. David offered a complete prayer confession to receive God's assurance of forgiveness. And in this psalm, David acknowledges God's right to cast him out as a sinner. We can move to the next one. Um, David also understood that when he confessed and repented, God would respond out of love and offer him forgiveness. So I find myself in hot water again. I've said or done something hurtful, and even when I ask good questions, I still struggle to see or understand my sin. I'm clueless. So at this point, I have a choice to make. I can stay stuck in conflict. It might be a hot conflict of angry words, or it might be a cold conflict of icy withdrawal. Either way, I'm stuck uh, with no hope of finding my way out of the conflict on my own, or I can take the path to David and I can turn to Dave, to God in earnest and sincere prayer. Too often I confess my sins to God in a casual or even a manipulative way. I don't just pray manipulative prayers, uh, confessions, say them to, to other people in this world, my wife and others, but I can do that to God. I haven't prayed for understanding about what I've done or how I've hurt the other person which means that I'm not ready to offer a sincere confession to that other person. So instead though, I have a choice. Instead of offering a manipulative confession to God, it might help if I prayed through the seven A's of confession. As I turned to God, I could ask questions like these using the seven A's. Lord, is there anyone else I've wronged and apologized, and I should apologize to? Sometimes we think we only need to apologize to one person, but if we've sinned or hurt in front of other people, we might need to go and make amends with several people, many people. Are there any ways in which I'm I'm blame-shifting or making excuses for my behavior? Help me understand, am I taking full responsibility, Lord? Lord, what have I done that is sinful and hurtful to you? David said, against you and you only have I sinned. And we need to get that, we need to understand how we've hurt God, first of all. But also, what have I done that's hurtful to the other person? Lord, can you help me understand the specific ways in which I've hurt you? And in what ways have I hurt that other person? Can you help me to accept your forgiveness? And what kinds of consequences can I expect, do I need to accept from the person who needs to forgive me for my behavior? What changes do I need to make to demonstrate a repentant heart to you? And what changes to demonstrate that to the other person? And Lord, please forgive me for my actions. How can my apology to the other person glorify you and encourage them to forgive me? As I pray through the seven A's, I should pray for clarity and understanding. I should seek to understand exactly what I've done and how I should repent. And then I should confess and seek God's forgiveness before I go back to the other person with the godly understanding that I need to fully (laughs) confess and seek forgiveness. So, I've done my work. I've asked good questions of uh, Judy, for example, if I've hurt Judy. I've prayed and asked for godly insights into what I did wrong. I've gone back to the other person. I've gone back, perhaps, to Judy and offered a sincere and perfect seven A's confession, a sincere apology. I've committed to real change, and I've asked for forgiveness. Everything should be good, right? Well, pride can get in the way of our apologies, but quite frankly, pride can sometimes get in the way of our forgiveness. Also, our hurt can't get in the way, but sometimes it's pride. So, what do I do then? Well, C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea. Until they have something to forgive. Uh, Brad Hambrick, again, explains why this can be hard. It's difficult to forgive because we long for justice. Forgiveness is not about justice. It's about healing. It's not logical and it's not fair, but it is the way to real freedom. And if we can navigate through the turbulent waters of our pain and ask God's help in forgiving those we need to forgive, we will experience inner peace that this world does not understand. When faced with the need to forgive, we may need to ask questions about the apology. We may also need to ask God for his wisdom his guidance and strength as we seek to forgive. Kenneth Sandy offers us this four promises of forgiveness as a guide to how to go through this process of offering a heartfelt uh, forgiveness in response to a sincere apology. The first promise, I will not dwell on this incident, with that we're committing to release our desire for justice to the perfect God, the perfect judge God. When I promise I will not dwell on this incident, I commit to the other person and to God that I'm not gonna stew in bitterness and judgment. I surrender my right, what I perceive is my right, to judge and punish. And I promise to stop focusing on how I was wronged by this other person. Through making this and honoring this first unconditional promise, I demonstrate, we demonstrate our total faith and confidence in God and God's justice. The next three promises, quite frankly, are conditional, however. They depend upon the sincerity of the other person's confession. They also depend upon the steps that the person takes to rebuild trust and repair the relationship. So making promises like, I won't bring this incident up and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow the incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Those are important relational commitments for true forgiveness to be lived out. But there's two people involved, at least, and uh, and everybody has work to do for those promises to be lived out. The person who's hurt, the person who's offended needs to make sincere efforts to change, to live out the promises he makes, and the person who's been hurt needs to also do work to live out the promises of forgiveness. But even when we know these promises and we make these commitments to the offender, if we're the one forgiving, we can get stuck in bitterness and unforgiveness. Sometimes we think we've forgiven and it comes back. Unforgiveness might show that we do not fully trust God. We haven't actually released this. We're holding on to some of it or our unforgiveness might come from really not understanding what, on, what forgiveness looks like, how to truly forgive. James Bryan Smith in his book Embracing the Love of God identifies four common misconceptions about forgiveness. We'll just look at those briefly. To forgive is to condone the behavior. To forgive in the absence of sincere confession is futile, and it's unnecessary. Time heals all wounds. Time alone is needed for a relationship to recover. And to forgive means forgetting. Sometimes when we're the offender, we we want that part of it lived out, right? If we hold on to any of these four misconceptions, it will get in the way of being able to offer true heartfelt forgiveness. When we forgive hurtful and harmful words and behavior, in fact, we're not condoning. We're acknowledging that we've been wronged. We're not judging the other person to be innocent, but we are making a sincere commitment to allow God to heal and transform us and transform our relationship. When we forgive, even when the other person offers an incomplete or insincere confession, or maybe no apology at all, we're recognizing that forgiveness frees us from bitterness. Forgiveness releases us from the need to be judged. It allows God to enter into the situation. It allows us to allow him to bind up those wounds. When we fall into the trap of believing that time alone will heal the hurt, that full forgiveness can only take place over time, we're denying a powerful reality. That only God heals wounds. And we don't know God's timing on that. Yes, it can take time, but time alone without the healing power of God's hand in our life and the life of the other person will not heal the wounds that foster unforgiveness. And when we believe that forgiveness means forgetting, we're stuck in the false and sometimes dangerous belief that we must, for forgiveness to happen, we must pretend as if the offense never happened. But we can't bury the past. The hurts and the pain can be very real. And we may need to build protections into our relationship to make sure that the other person is not able to hurt us in the same way. And those protections are for our good, but it's also for the good of that other person. That other person needs time to prove that he or she is trustworthy if it's been a serious hurt. So what's the secret to living out these four promises of forgiveness that Ken Sandy offered us, we looked at earlier? Remember that the offender needs God's guidance on what to confess and how to repent. And if we've been hurt, we need God's guidance and strength as well to understand how to live out that forgiveness. When we struggle with forgiving, it's helpful to pray through these four promises of forgiveness. We can ask God for the strength we need to release the hurt to him. We can pray for the Holy Spirit to alert us when we're holding on to hurt or falling back into bitterness. And we can do more. We can pray for strength not to gossip or slander the other person and for encouragement to continue to pursue reconciliation. If the person who hurt us needs to rebuild trust with us, we can ask God to help us understand that process and then we can share with the offender what rebuilding trust in our relationship will look like. God knows that we're gonna struggle with forgiveness, but he's given us the counselor. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us navigate through struggles just like these. So how do, why do we struggle with so much unacknowledged hurt and so much unforgiveness? Why is it so hard sometimes to receive correction to acknowledge our wrong or on the other hand to offer forgiveness maybe it's because we don't know how to confess maybe it's because we don't know how to forgive but maybe it's because we struggle with turning to God in full surrender so what's required we should confess our sins with all sincerity to God asking for his forgiveness but also for his guidance on how to apologize to the other person. It's re- important to remember the truth and the promises of 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we are, have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we have truly hurt someone and we go to God in repentance, We have the assurance that God forgives us, and that he will empower us to make the changes we need to make to avoid future hurt. We should continue to pursue and ask for forgiveness from the other person, but we can rest in knowing that the true judge, the only perfect judge, has forgiven us, even if the person we hurt is still struggling with forgiveness. And when we need to forgive and then live out forgiveness, we should remember that on our own, we can never truly forgive. But God empowers us through his spirit to be truly forgiving people. The Holy Spirit can help us in our weakness and he can also bring to mind the word of God when we most need it. When we just can't seem to forgive on our own, we can pray through scripture Perhaps a, a section like Colossians 3, 12, and 14, asking for God to help us display the fruit of the Spirit. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Here's this command again. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. When I get stuck in refusing to acknowledge my sin, I do hurt the other person. But I hurt God, and I hurt myself more. And when I get stuck in refusing to forgive, I hurt the other person. But I hurt God, and I hurt myself even more. Praise God that we have his word, we have his spirit, and we have his promises to guide us into his peace that transcends all understanding. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we do praise you for the certain knowledge that we have that... Uh, when we confess our sins in a sincere way, you do forgive us when we confess that to each other. And we, we know that you know that we're going to struggle because you've walked this world with us and you know what's how difficult it can be, how pride can get in the way, how hurt can get in the way. And Lord, we just pray for each of us that we will really be encouraged today to uh, be instruments of your peace to those most important to us as well as those who are far away. We just pray that we will be continue to be and grow to be a stronger and stronger light in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, and, and in the, everyone we interact with in the days ahead. We praise you and thank you for this message and the time we've had to share it today. We pray in the name of your Son, our Lord. Amen.